Good morning, church family. As usual, I'm excited to uh, read from God's Word with you today. Um, and I'm reminded of that here at St. Andrew Church, we do three things. We connect with God, uh, we connect with God's people, and we connect with the world and lead them to connect with God. And preaching and prayer are a big part of, of course, how we connect to God and uh, learn from Him, love Him, uh, but also part of how we connect to each other. We sit together under God's Word and pray together. So it's such, such a joy to do that with you. This morning's sermon comes from a very famous passage uh, from Ephesians 6, 10 to 20 on the armor of God. And I wanted to start with the caveat. So this morning's sermon is going to be a little different in that by necessity it's going to require talking about our, our adversary, the devil, uh, very often. I just wanted to say for anybody in the room, if you believe in and have put your trust in Jesus and are a Christian, you have no cause uh, for fear uh, from, the devil, from the devil, from demonic forces. And, but this, this is going to come up a lot in our sermon, right? So I just wanted to preface today's message with that. So maybe you have heard it said, uh, and I'm going to caveat this, maybe you have heard it said, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. I've heard that told to me before, and I ran into a very serious problem. I kept experiencing things that I couldn't handle, right? And I said, God, why, why are you doing this to me? So re the reality is in this life we do face things that are too much for us to handle. Maybe uh, cancer, maybe the loss of a loved one, uh, maybe a, a severe family crisis. So in reality, how I would tweak that phrase is God doesn't give us more than we can handle in him. God, uh, in, in this life, invites us to trust in him, to rely on him for the strength we need every day. So this is how our passage for this morning begins, Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Depend on God, depend on him. With that, let's pray and begin. Father God, I pray that you... Uh, in this moment, direct our hearts and our eyes to your word. Open our eyes and our ears to hear and, and learn wonderful things, important things uh, from your word in the Bible. It's in your name. Amen. So if you're new to the sermon series, we've been preaching on the book of Ephesians for a little while now. And the book of Ephesians has an emphasis on Christian submission, that Christians submit to Jesus as our Lord, and we submit to one another out of reverence and respect for him. But here in this passage, Paul takes a very dramatic turn away from these instructions. And he says, uh, in this instance, we should stand up and stand against and do everything in God's power to oppose our adversary, the accuser, the devil. We are not to submit, we're to stand up. But for frail humans like us, how can we hope to be ready against such, such an adversary as this? So in this passage, Scripture tells us how to be spiritually ready to oppose the evil one. And that is by putting on the armor of God, what's called the armor of God. With that, let's dive in. Ephesians 6, 11 to 13. Put on the full armor of God 
so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to do everything to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. In verse 11, Paul says, put on the full armor of God. And not long after that, he says it again, put on the full armor of God. And so we should hear the urgency in his voice. Guys, this, this is important. Listen up. And he gives some very compelling reasons why we need to put on the armor of God. Uh, number one, because we are called not just to resist, but to play the offense. We are called to stand against him. And number two, our opponent has a plan, and he has particular methods to throw us down, so we need the armor of God. Uh, in New York, I got to see a really cool collection of medieval armor, as you can see here on the screen. Really impressive, really cool. I love to see somebody wear these. But as I looked at this armor, I imagined it as kind of like a protective cocoon, okay? I can put that on and stand in it. I don't have to go anywhere. People can throw things, beat me up, and it won't hurt. Well, it wasn't until I read this passage more closely that I understood that to think of armor in this way is to totally misunderstand what it's for. Body armor today and in the Middle Ages and in Jesus' time was for the specific purpose of enabling a soldier to stand against, to fight. It, it's called the, the armor of God, not the wall of God. It is not something to stand and, and be passive. It is active. And another reason we must be prepared in our active resistance against the devil is because he is prepared. He's active. In verse 11, Paul says that uh, the purpose of the armor is to take a stand against the devil's schemes or methods or plans. I remember a great talk my youth pastor gave uh, when I was probably about Zach's age. And um, my youth pastor asked us, do you have a, a plan for your life? That's great. You know, most youth pastors probably ask that. But he followed that up with something else. He said, do you have a plan for your life? Because the devil has a plan for your life. The, the world has a plan for your life to, to use it, to use you, to destroy you. And so it's important for us to have a plan to be bought in. Thankfully, God has a plan for our lives. And so what about you? What is, what is God's plan for your life? He has a plan. It's perfect and undefeatable. And therefore, of course, we should do everything we can to buy into his plan. As for the armor of God, it, it protects us in this battle that we endure in the meantime. And so will you put it on or rely on your own strength? In order to successfully stand against, then we should be led to ask, okay, if my adversary has plans and methods, it might help if I know what those are then I can be prepared and know what they are and be able to resist. So I wanted to, I asked myself, does the Bible say anything about what are the methods of the evil one? 
So let's, let's take a look. First, the evil one uses lies and distortions of the truth to deceive people. In Genesis 3, the serpent approached Eve to trick her, deceive her, into eating from the tree God had told them to not eat from. And when, she appro- when he approached her and Adam, he said uh, uh, just a blatant lie. The, the serpent said, you will not perish, you will not die. But actually, Eve knew what God said, and so she tells the serpent uh, that the Lord did say that if we eat of it, we'll perish and die. But when the serpent lied, he claimed that God's truth wasn't real. And as you know, he was proven to be a liar because Adam and Eve eventually did die, and because of that, we experienced death in our lives. So also, we must avoid the accuser's methods of distorting the truth. There is one reality, one set of facts, independent of our emotions and opinions, is a very unpopular idea today. You might hear it said, you know, my truth, your truth. Well, the the reality is that God exists, and he is true, independent of what you and I think or believe or say. And the devil uses that, and he wants to twist that and make us think otherwise. Second, the devil tries to cause us to question our identity in Christ, that we are chosen and belong and loved by God. Even Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, the desert, where the devil would tempt him. And there, uh, the devil said twice to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, he said, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Surely you could do that. And then he said, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself from this roof and see if the angels will catch you. But thankfully, Jesus gave us a sneak peek into how to use the armor of God. And spoiler alert, he used the belt of truth, uh, and specifically the truth in God's word to oppose the devil and defeat him. Third, and this is a little bit harder to see at first glance in scripture, but the accuser will cause you to see your friends as your enemies. This one I've seen more often in my experience, and maybe you've seen it too. Maybe you've told a friend or a family member Hey, what, what you're doing, in case you didn't know, is, isn't, isn't good for you, and maybe it's even wrong. And to our surprise, these, uh, our friends and family might get mad at us. They might accuse us of things. And in a weird turn of events, the devil has allowed this person to view their friends as their enemies. And so beware, beware of that. When people come and challenge you, uh, especially your friends, uh, to, to invest in that, to double down on that. This person, I can trust them, I can rely on them to tell me something, even if it's hard, and, and to listen. Uh, the Pharisees thought Jesus was their enemy. This might be new for you because we talk about Jesus and the Pharisees being enemies. But in reality, the devil had caused them to see Jesus, the Messiah, who they had been waiting for for hundreds of years, as their enemy. The, the ultimate irony that Jesus was there to save them, and they couldn't see it. Fourth, and most often, the devil uh, will use the resource most abundantly available to him. And that's our own evil desires and passions. 
uh, speaking in the midst of World War II, author C.S. Lewis said that he didn't want to give the devil too much credit. And I agree with that, that at the end of the day, we are motivated by our own sinful desires. And so if you get out of this sermon that somehow the bad things or the wrong things that you do aren't your fault, then you have been already defeated. That is what the enemy wants you to believe. God's word in James 1.14 explains this by saying, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Beware of the sinful forces in you and be ready with the armor of God. But how do we put on the armor of God and what exactly is included in this toolkit? Well, let's find out by reading Ephesians 6, 14 to 17. The word of the Lord. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so this is not the first place in Scripture that the, the armor of God comes up, actually. If you caught it in, in Austin's reading of Scripture, Isaiah is actually the first one to mention this idea that God has armor. Isaiah mentions God's helmet of salvation and his breastplate of righteousness. And so this comes up, and, and Paul is going to pick up on that. But let's start with first things first, with the belt of truth. And no, this isn't quite like uh, Wonder Woman's lasso, if you're familiar with her, that she can cause you know, bad guys to confess to their crimes. Uh, and no, it can't be used uh, by you high schoolers to get your crush to confess whether they like you or not. Uh, it doesn't work like that. Uh, but the belt of truth is still very powerful and useful. In John 8.32, Jesus says that if his disciples abide in his words, then they will know the truth, and then they will be set free. Now, lying lands us in a trap of having to keep lying, right, in order to, to maintain faith. And even though it's hard, the reality is, as Jesus says, if we say the truth, we can be set free. We can be set free from the, the, the evil one and from the circumstances we put ourselves in, even if it's hard to get out of. And it's important to note this isn't, as I said, the truth about ourselves. Rather, we are armed with the truth about who God is, the truth about God who protects us from the lies of the evil one. And the truth is that our Heavenly Father has promised to never leave us or forsake us. To, so that we can combat the evil one from these doubts. In order to be set free, we must embrace the, the hard truth about ourselves and take ownership for our own actions. In Romans 1.25, Paul says that the Gentiles exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. Uh, it, it might be ironic to you to hear that most often we do not want the truth. I'm reminded of a the, the movie, uh, somebody remind me of the title. You can't handle the truth, Drew. What, you know the name? A little louder? Oh, A Few Good Men, yeah. And he stands up and says, you can't handle the truth, right? 
and, and especially in a court setting or before God, the truth can be scary, but we must embrace it. Next is the breastplate of righteousness. And Paul is talking about, uh, is in fact, not our righteousness, but the, the righteousness that God gives to us. Again, the accuser seeks to condemn God's people. And I don't know about you, but if I'm armed with my own, you know, righteousness breastplate, it's going to be more like cardboard than the hard bronze that Roman soldiers wore. And so uh, when Paul talks about the armor of God, he's saying that God has given you the righteousness of Christ to wear. And no matter what you've done or what you're going to do, when the enemy comes to accuse you, you can say, I wear the righteousness of Christ who, who never sinned and always obeyed God, and that's by God's mercy. With the breastplate of Christ's righteousness, we can stand protected against the accusations of the devil and the world. Then our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Footwear is something we take for granted today, but the moment you've probably gone without it, you've realized how important it is. So I'm reminded of uh, a really fun memory. Uh, last winter, we uh, went with the kids to Len and Mary's house, and the students had a really great time seeing who could run out the farthest on the icy lake barefoot, right? That was a good time. I see Annie smiling. And without the right footwear, you realize, holy cow, this really hurts. I didn't want to do it. Uh, they uh, urgently pleaded with me to run out on the ice, and I decided, but I knew it was going to hurt. They, I guess, didn't know it was going to hurt, right? But you need the right, the right footwear as a soldier and as a messenger. And, and so the, the sandals, the, the footwear of the gospel of peace is important. Spiritually, we've been tasked with taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's a lot of mileage, right? So we need strong footwear. Uh, and this is what Isaiah also says in Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. A messenger's first task is to prepare their feet for travel, and that is our task as well. Next, one of the greatest instruments is the shield of faith which Paul says to take up in all situations. Now, Roman shields were designed to offer total protection from arrows and other flying objects. They were huge, two-by-four-foot uh, things with two layers of wood, and it was reinforced with iron on top and bottom and with uh, animal skin on front. And you could wet that, and if you got struck with a flaming arrow, as Paul said, it would go out because it would keep wet. Uh, this sounds like a really fun project, maybe for uh, Levi and Jennifer and Rick or uh, um, Travis Sprouse. If he was here, if you guys would like to make a uh, Roman shield, I would uh, be very glad, and we can preach on this again sometime. But uh, I wonder, you know, in light of being made of such strong materials, uh, if the shield of faith can be hard to lift. You know, this thing would have been the size of a solid door, right? And you can imagine, not only are you carrying a sword, but your shield and all this armor it become very heavy, very heavy. And not to press the, the metaphor too far, but I wonder if the, the shield of faith can feel extra heavy sometimes. 
even this week, I've felt moments of anxiety or, you know, and the season of winter, you know, seasonal depression, things like that. And there are times in life where it can be really hard to get our shield of faith up. But the truth is that we have a lot of means at our disposal to help us with that. And faith is not increased by trying to believe harder. I used to think that, okay, God, I just need to like think harder to, to believe more. And that's not really it. So here's some uh, advice uh, for you on how, to, how can you get help lifting that shield of faith. The shield of faith is first lifted by the encouragement that God's word provides because it's his own word about himself. So that's part of why we need to be in the Bible, reading it, listening to it. Second, the shield of faith is lifted by God himself when we ask him to help us with our unbelief, like the man in Mark 9, 24, Jesus is approached by this man who says, I need you to heal my son. And Jesus says, this, this can only happen by faith. And the man says, I believe. Help my unbelief. The man says, Jesus, help me to believe more, to have stronger faith. We can ask God to help lift the shield of faith in times of doubt. And finally, the shield of faith, we can get help lifting that from our fellow soldiers, from fellow believers in Christ, our brothers and sisters, by saying, Brother, I, I need your help. I, I'm having a hard time right now. Can you help me lift the shield of faith? Sister, I need your help. I need your encouragement. Remind me of the truth. And we get help from our brothers and sisters to lift the shield of faith. Finally, we are equipped with the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Like the breastplate, the, the helmet of salvation is an aspect of our identity. We are saved. We are chosen by God. But the, the sword of the Spirit, uh, which, as the author Paul says, is the Word of God, is a little different. It's, more, it's the most offensive weapon we have in, in this toolkit. As commentator Arnold says, preparation for battle does not take place once it begins, but well in advance. So you might think of great athletes, artists, craftsmen, and musicians. They all train for, for years, uh, for the moment when they are going to be put to the test. I remember in college I had a, um, a music appreciation class, and I got to see a woman give her doctoral piano recital. There was a lot at stake. She had been training for a very long time, and she knew that if she didn't pass, she would fail, and all that work would be at risk. Or an athlete, it takes at least six months to really properly train for a marathon. And so part of this, this armor of God is that we need to be prepared with it before the battle, ready with it on, because the, the, the moment may come without much notice. Why should being a Christian be, be any different than these other trades that take so much time to prepare? Uh, in our lives, sometimes we think, I'll get around to it. I'll get around going to, to church. I'll get around to reading my Bible and praying. And then life happens, right? And things get really hard. And then we say, I, I need to get back on track with God. 
Well, that's okay. And if you're in that place, you are in the right place. But the word of God's encouragement is to prepare in advance, to increase your resilience. In conclusion, Paul lands on the most essential aspect of the armor, and that is prayer. And so let's go ahead and read uh, Ephesians 6, 18 to 20. He says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, Paul says, that whenever I speak, words may be given, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Prayer is the seemingly mundane part of preparation that's actually the most important and essential part. Prayer is the food we eat and the rest we need in preparation for our struggle. We have a few friends here who are truck drivers, or even my wife who worked all night. She would sleep, right? And you really need that sleep before you go on a long drive or work your night shift, Um, Prayer is part of that mundane, everyday aspect of life that we need to be prepared. Without it, we will feel tired and malnourished and unequipped. This is because when we pray, we recognize our need for God's help and glorify Him by asking from Him that help. Unfortunately, I don't have time to read it. There's just a teeny little bit left of the book of Ephesians. Uh, but Paul finishes his letter with a word about Tychicus, uh, his, his co-worker. And he says that Tychicus is going to deliver this letter and he's going to you know, update the Ephesians out on how Paul is doing. And just like that, in our life as Christians, we cannot resist alone. Uh, we are not a one-man army. We uh, need each other. We need the church. We need fellow believers in our struggle against the evil one. So in conclusion, the Christian life calls us to submit to God and to one another. And we are called to resist and stand against the devil. Um, And I'm reminded that the Christian life is for manly men or womanly women. You know, that is not a light thing to do. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor during World War II. And he witnessed uh, Adolf Hitler rise to power and began to exterminate the Jews as well as other vulnerable people. And so he was presented with a very real situation. What are you going to do, Bonhoeffer? What are you going to do, German church? Are you ready for evil to come upon you and your country in such a uh, a visible and tangible way? Are you prepared? Though he wrestled with God's command to value all life, Bonhoeffer knew that on the same grounds it would be wrong For him to do nothing while Hitler and his regime executed millions of innocent people. And so Bonhoeffer spent much of his time getting the church wake up, resist, stand against, as Paul has commanded us to do against this evil that has come upon us. He led the church to act, especially when most Germans wanted to do nothing or wanted to stop their ears and pretend it wasn't happening. Later, he was executed in a death camp for his participation in an attempt to assassinate Hitler. And there will be a time in your life when you are called 
to stand against evil in your sphere of influence. We as pastors are told very strictly by the law that we are mandatory reporters. You know, if, uh, if I believe or suspect that a child is in danger, I have to tell the police. I have to tell somebody. I am uh, required by the law to act. And so God has also required us to act uh, in the face of and against evil as we are able. So make a habit of putting on the armor of God now. Then you will be ready. And let's stand together in that battle that we face. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day and for your kingdom and your righteousness. As we remember that you sent your son, the ruler of all things in the world, let us celebrate. You sent Jesus as a, a human child, uh, and we celebrate that at Christmas, but he also grew up to be a human man, and uh, you sent him to be our example, to stand against evil, to do what's right, to submit perfectly to your will. We pray, knowing in this life we will face more than we can handle on our own. But we pray to be equipped with your strength. May we take on your armor and therefore be transformed into mighty men and women of faith. Strong Christians, strong and courageous. Not perfect, but may we trust in you. This is our inheritance. Holy Spirit, lead us, embolden us, transform us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you comfort us, encourage us, uh, meet us in those days of anxiety and doubt. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we do not stand alone. We have you, and we have the church throughout history and today. May we go with the gospel of feet, uh, prepared with the, the feet of the gospel of peace. It's in your name. Amen.